0: I love the Christmas season. I love coming together. Food. Oh gosh, food. Um, I love it all. I'm a really big fan of Christmas and Christmas time. Um, This this Christmas, we're spending it here in Auckland, uh, myself, my my family, and um, our son is one. Um, Thank you for cheering. I know you probably don't really care so much but I appreciate it, <laughs> uh, he's won, and he started doing some really cute things, cute for me, I'm going to share, just bear with me, uh, one of the things that he started doing um, is he, he, he plays this game with his grandparents, my, my parents, that when they come over, uh, my mum, my she will uh, walk into the room but hide, and Malachi, our one-year-old, will be there kind of playing or watching a movie or something, and my mum will say, grandson, and Malachi, immediately, and he will start, he gets the excitables. (laughs) Grandson, and then he'll stand up, and then he'll just start walking around in circles. Grandson, and he's just he's just started walking, and he doesn't he doesn't fully run towards the noise or the sound. He runs and then he stops and then he leans, and he peeks. He started peeking, so he'll run to one end of the, the, the lounge and he will. Is my bumbu? That's Fiji, and it's my bumboo. That's Grandma and Fijian, it's my bumboo there. Grandson, he'll run again, and I share that with you because I'm a mum and. That's what mums do. Uh, But I also share that with you because that's how I feel about Christmas. I really do feel this Christmas, at the end of this decade, God has your promise that it's not over, that He will break through on your behalf. And this morning, I really believe, can you lean in, can you hear Him? And I think sometimes, uh, I think Christmas is a good time It's a good time to take the opportunity to maybe stand up and maybe peek around the corner again and maybe pray again and maybe hope again because I'm convinced God is moving. I'm convinced He's a miracle working God. I'm convinced there's no relationship He cannot restore. I'm convinced there's no heart He cannot heal. I'm convinced there's no miracle that is too far outside of His reach. And so this morning, I come on, I want us to be a little bit like Malachi. I want us with hopeful expectation. And I say that understanding that Christmas can be a difficult time. But I pray that even now that you would sense the Spirit of God saying, could you believe again? Could you hope again? Could you try again? We got three more sleeps till Christmas. Could you make the phone call? Could you extend the invitation? And so really this morning, where, where I wanna share around is I wanna share around what we sang this morning, that our hearts would prepare Him room. And I don't, I mean, I don't know if you're here again, maybe you're visiting and Christmas for you is not about Jesus, and you're really here out of you know, familial obligation. welcome. We'll have a good time. But I wonder also this morning, even for you, that you might allow your heart to be open, perhaps, this Christmas to a miracle you might never have expected. Because I believe in a God who brought us all here together this morning. And I believe that He can break through from... Uh, from for every life and every person. So before I carry on, would you pray with me? If you feel comfortable, close your eyes. God, I thank You that You are here. And I pray this morning and welcome You into this place again. And Lord, we just ready our hearts to speak, God. I pray every heart would hear You this morning I pray every heart would sense and know your presence this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen, amen. (laughs) Half a clap. (laughs) I love Christmas, I do. Hey, we're good, fam, you guys can go. Thanks, Josh. Yeah, I'll call you up soon. Um, I, I do love that about Christmas. I love the wonder of Christmas. I love that during this time, Time kind of slows down a little bit, or maybe just I do, and almost like life kind of stops. And I feel like at this time I can take a little bit of a breath, and it's a really beautiful time. It's the wonder of Christmas. And like I said earlier, really this morning, I don't want to take too long, but I just want to share a few, just two things, two things that we can do this morning to prepare our hearts for a Christmas miracle to prepare our hearts that God might be able to do something that we never thought possible. There's a few miracles that I'm believing for this Christmas. Um, I I have a decade miracle I'm believing for. In the last decade, God has been moving significantly in my family. Uh, There's there's been incredible restoration and healing that has taken place in my family, and I'm just going to pop up on the screen if the team can just pop up a real bad quality Christmas photo from a few years ago. But I just want to share. This is our um, yeah, it's a real bad quality, eh? Like my sister-in-law's eyes are like a possum's eyes, kind of shining. This is this is my family. If we can leave that photo up. Uh, <laughs> um, Christmas has always been a special, special time for me, but when we were growing up, my family split, and, and uh, my, my parents divorced, and the main reason for that was because my dad was uh, violent and abusive. And so as a young girl, Christmas, the, you know, like the idea of two Christmases, one at mum's and one at dad's, sounds really exciting to lots of Christmases, but the, you and I both know the reality of that is not so. Um, And so Christmas became that space that was very challenging and very hard. That was hope and disappointment year after year. Hope maybe this year our family will come together. Maybe this year we will be able to uh, come together somehow, the hope of a child that her parents might reconcile. And it, it, it didn't happen for many, many, many years. And then about 15 years after my parents had divorced, through a series of tragic circumstances, uh, what, through a series of what I thought was a tragic circumstance, God worked a miracle. And I want to encourage you here, if you are in amongst a tragic circumstance, God performs miracles there. And we we don't see it because sometimes the situation is so difficult or heart-reaching or dark, but I'm a living testimony that amongst difficult times, God is moving. And so he was moving among my family, and uh, my mum and dad, before this Christmas, had this conversation of reconciliation and restoration that led to our whole family being together. That's my mum in the middle, my dad, my stepdad on either side of my mum. What? Just think of your family and how weird your family is. Like, that's crazy! And then all of my brothers and my two um, sister-in-laws, and Ben wasn't on the scene at that time. So it's all right. Um, and, um, and my niece, right in the middle, and we took this family photo, and I remember the whole day just sitting there, um, you know, eating and thinking, every time, like, oh, God is real. It's like, God is real, only God could have done this. And so I share this with you this morning because I believe God can bring a miracle to your heart and to your life. He can, he can. And so uh, turn to the person next to you and say, prepare some room. Turn to the other person and say, prepare some room. Okay, so just two things this morning and we're gonna, we're gonna open up the Bible in Luke in chapter 19. Um, and this is the story of Jesus and Zacchaeus and I'm going to read. Uh, It says this in verse one, Jesus entered Jericho and made his way through the town. There was a man there named Zacchaeus. He was the chief tax collector. Say that, chief tax collector. He was the chief tax collector in the region and he had become very rich. He tried to get a look at Jesus, but he was too short to see over the crowd. Any short people? Yeah, okay, cool. Sycamore trees, that's what you need, okay. He was too short to see over the crowd so he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore fig tree beside the road for Jesus was going to pass that way. When Jesus came by, he looked up at Zacchaeus and called him by name, Zacchaeus. He said, quick, come down. I must be a guest in your home today. There are little things in the Bible that make me think that Jesus was a Pacific Islander. (laughs) This is one of them. Yeah, I'll, yeah, I'll come to your house. We'll have some food. You know, just invite ourselves over for a feed. Okay. He wasn't. He wasn't. Okay. Uh, Zacchaeus quickly climbed down and took Jesus to his house in great excitement and joy, but the people were displeased. He has gone to be a guest of a notorious sinner, they grumbled. Meanwhile, Zacchaeus stood before the Lord and said, I will give half my wealth to the poor Lord, and if I have cheated people on their taxes, I will give them back four times as much. Jesus responded, salvation has come to this home today, for this man has shown himself to be a true son of Abraham, for the son of man has come to seek." and save those who are lost amen amen just take some time to say Merry Christmas again I'm gonna blow my nose <laughs> okay thank you appreciate it okay so two two things just that your heart may, may prepare some room Um, And if if you're taking notes, the one thing, sorry, the first thing I want to say is to prepare room, open your home. Right? Immediately. I just felt all of the introverts in the room. Rebel. No. I have a list of people who are allowed to come over and hang at my house. Okay? And you are now off that list, Esther. I th- I, th- I think what we see here, again, one of the things I love about Jesus is when I read the Gospels, Jesus is either going to a meal, sitting at a meal, or leaving a meal. It's it's this it's this dance around food, and it's this dance around people's homes. And when I used to read the scripture, I used to think, oh, you know, that's a bit weird, like. People are so judgy, right? Just leave Zacchaeus alone. The people are so judgy. Why are people so judgy? Who cares where Jesus eats? And then as I began to read, the power of of opening your home and who is allowed into your home, especially as a first century Jew, is incredibly important. What Jesus was doing by saying, Zacchaeus, I wanna come to your house for a meal, it wasn't just like something looked down upon. It was considered in the culture of the day as reprehensible. What Jesus was doing was dangerous. What Jesus was doing, by Jesus inviting someone into his home or going to someone else's home, what Jesus was doing was rebellious to the culture of the day. Why? because we said earlier that Zacchaeus is a tax collector. He was the chief tax collector, which means not much to us today, but as quick context, a a, a tax collector is someone who in the first century Jewish culture would quite literally collect taxes from people as they would pass through. Where Zacchaeus was collecting taxes was where lots of people were passing through. And a chief tax collector or a tax collector, there'd be a standard tax that Rome would require And a a tax collector would often add on top of that another fee just for kicks. So if a tax, if if Rome said your standard tax to pass through here, customs, is 50%, um, then often what someone like Zacchaeus would do was I'll raise it to 70. And if you complain, I'll raise it 75, 80, just depending on how you feel that day. And so, uh, a tax collector in first century Jewish culture was seen as the morally, the, the lowest of the moral low. And now this is important to note because where we find Jesus in this story, we find, uh, we find that meals and conversation and communion and home means more than what we think it means. For us today, meals are purely functional. How many people still eat a meal around a table? Yeah, I, I never used to. I do now because I have a one-year-old. And so I, have to, I just try and keep the mess all in one place. <laughs> right? Just around the radius of the high chair. So there, there are, there's quite a few people in the room who do eat around a table and quite a few people who don't. You might eat on the couch, in the lounge, on, uh, while watching TV. That's pretty, it's a pretty normal thing to do nowadays. Uh, but in first century Jewish culture, you must understand the Jews and Jesus and all at this time, uh, they were considered to be in exile. It's a, a bit of history so, so you can kind of follow me on this. Because they were in exile, they weren't able to keep the law of Exodus and Leviticus and Deuteronomy like they should have. So in order for them to continue to be good Jews, and continue to follow the law of God, they couldn't, they couldn't uh, operate with the sacrificial system. They had to shift things around so they could still obey God without actually doing the huge animal sacrifices. So just a slide's gonna come up quickly. Um, the slide with the four lines. There we go. So this is, uh, this is, what, this is what they did because they couldn't go to the temple, the temple had been destroyed, so, so the home became the new temple. The table became the altar where you would worship. The father of the family would be the priest that would conduct all of the activities, and the meal became the new sacrifice. So when Jesus sat down with people at a table, it wasn't just about them having a functional meal, this was almost a boundary marker of who was allowed in the kingdom. This was a boundary marker of who was, who was allowed to have access to the kingdom. And so you can see, you can see the trouble that happens when a chief tax collector, the reprehensible Zacchaeus, the lowest of the moral low, and Jesus says, I can come to your house today and have a meal, and we're gonna commune together. What's Jesus saying? At all of these meals, you're accepted. You're valued, you can come to the table. It is just like the King of kings born in a manger. It is humanity and the divine coming together. It is the three wise men and sheep all at the same table Is Jesus, the King of kings, the Lord of lords, saying we have access together and we do it around the table. How incredible is that? So most Jews believed in that time that if they just kept the law, then they would be be rescued from exile and the Messiah would come. So when Jesus says Zacchaeus, I want to come to your house and I want to eat with you, that was a rabbi breaking the law. What they didn't realize was Jesus was making a statement with every meal that he had. You're welcome to the kingdom. You're welcome to the table. How do we prepare room for our king? I say we open our home. And people who perhaps in our families, in our past, in our present, that we perhaps would rather not commune with. How do we prepare for a miracle? I dare you. Open your home. And welcome them to the table. It's a good time to learn how to cook. <laughs> Google is great for that. But it's a it's it's a different thing to open up your home. You know, I, I like I said, I'm believing for a family miracle this Christmas. For me, what does it look like? What does it look like to prepare my heart? Well, It means I can't just stop and wait that they're gonna fix themselves. It means that there are practical faith steps that we can take. Maybe you need to pick up the phone. Maybe you need to extend the invitation. Maybe you need to open your home. Maybe you need to meet someone at a cafe. Maybe you need to do one of those things but it is a powerful thing and a, and a very, very powerful example that Jesus gives to open and to have a meal. And I reckon, I reckon have a meal, have food, why? Because then when it gets awkward, just eat. <laughs> just eat until you can think of something else to say. Just eat. Dude, you don't know how to answer the question? I'll oh, just say, can I have another coffee, please? But it means that the meals are longer. It, it means, what does it mean? It means you have to look at someone. It means you have to have a conversation to their face rather than on the phone. And so this morning, um, I, I really wanna challenge you. How do we prepare room for a miracle of God? I wanna say open your home. And, and maybe that, that's probably the easier thing to do, because the second point is to open your heart. That's a little bit harder to do, right? You might have thought opening the home was, you know what what opening your home does? Opening your home means you can't hide. (laughs) I open my home every week to a bunch of girls who come over and have like Bible study, we call it e-group. And when they come over, we start at seven, they started turning up at like six o'clock you know, and in my mind, I'm like, hey, I mean, you're starting to come over earlier. Ben and I really need to resolve this argument before they come over. <laughs> but now it's like, if they're over and the house is messy, wow, well, that's what it is. Welcome. Welcome to my home. The home is important because home usually is the place where your loved ones are there. And the home is important because it's usually with your loved ones that you are who you are, you're usually at your best and your worst at home. And it's not that we give our worst to our loved ones, it's that we simply are who we are when we're at home. And the reason why that's important is when people come into our home, it's important that they connect with you and not some version of you that you managed to put together that day. And when people connect with you, there's a beautiful thing that can transpire from heaven and earth that can shift and healing can take place. I have seen it myself. Anyway, that was just one for free. Um, one of the reasons, another reason why it's a bit hard to open up your home, again, is that fear of intimidation. We're, in, we're, we're intimidated because it's a space, home is a space where we're vulnerable. Uh, but you, you can't have relationship without risk. you can't have any sort of real community without vulnerability. Uh, That's why again I suggest come on open your home. The second one um, is to open your heart and this is a funny funny wee scripture that I'd like to share Uh, this is in Matthew in chapter 10 and verses 1 to 4. It'll come up on the screen. Jesus called his 12 disciples together and gave them authority to cast out evil spirits and heal every kind of disease and illness. Here are the names of the 12 apostles. The first was Simon, also called Peter, then Andrew, Peter's brother, James, the son of Zebedee, John, James's brother, Philip, Bartholomew, Thomas, Matthew, the tax collector. James, the son of Altheus, Thaddeus, Simon the zealot, and Judas Iscariot, who later betrayed him. That's Jesus's group of friends that he decides to bring together to save the world. (laughs) Not a group I would choose. Probably not a group you would choose. If there was an Avengers group to save the world, that was it, that Jesus chose those people. None of them had superpowers, but it was this group of this 12 people. And I, I, I wanna read this because <coughs> I think it's just quite funny. I'm just gonna pull out one, one relationship. We, Matthew the tax collector, we already talked about collecting taxes, but we also had Simon the Zealot Here's what a zealot is. A zealot is a right-wing Jewish insurgency group that would conduct violent, guerrilla-like terrorist activity on unsuspecting Roman soldiers in the quest of Israeli independence. (gasps) That's Simon the Zealot. Okay, so you got Simon the Zealot, right-wing, violent, just mad and angry all the time and passionate for a cause, right? And probably just by that definition in and of itself has an an inherent hate for Rome. And then you have Matthew the tax collector just casually on the payroll of Rome. (laughs) How about that Christmas morning lunch? Can you imagine that Christmas morning? All the disciples come together and there's Simon the Zealot and Matthew the tax collector. Simon, I hate you. I hate everything you represent. I hate all that you and your family have done to rip off our people. How can you sit here? Sound like just a casual family gathering? (laughs) But these are the people Jesus chose to bring together. Can you imagine just the level of bitterness and offense and hate just in that one relationship? And Jesus brings, Jesus brings them together to stand together and change the world together. Come on, there's gotta be some miracle working power for that one, just that one relationship. And they walk together and they live together This wasn't a like, oh yeah, you stay on your side of the room and I'll stay on mine. No, no, this was the way that they lived was in each other's lives, sleeping, eating, walking, and they had to wrestle. (laughs) They would have had to wrestle. And I think if anything, that is gospel. That is gospel that those two people can sit and can be together and not just be like, oh, okay, we can tolerate each other, but we can be on the same team and we can run together and I can forgive and you can forgive and we can love each other and this can be something amazing. That's that's a powerful, powerful thing. And I just think in that one... (laughs) In, in, that, in that one relationship, Matthew the tax collector and Simon the zealot. Man, I would have loved to have heard some of those conversations. I would have loved to have been on that journey. I would have loved to have seen what forgiveness looked like there. I would have loved to have seen what, what, what a brotherly embrace would have looked like there. What Jesus shows us is this kind of community that is miraculous, that it just, they just stay together. And I, I think community, uh, Musos, why don't you come on up? I think, that, I think community is very powerful. Just, I, I, I like fun facts, so I'm gonna share one fun fact. There's a, a, a study that was done in, in the US not too long ago uh, by James Pennebraker called Opening Up. Uh, and it was a a nationwide research project on trauma and its effect on adults and their long-term health and their long-term, I guess, connectedness and relationship with community. And the question was why? Why do some people recover from trauma in their adult life and why don't some people? The hypothesis of the study was that, the severity or the stigma of the trauma would be the determining factor as to whether people could live healthy. And especially if someone had gone through a trauma that had a social stigma. So uh, perhaps uh, uh, like sexual abuse or a a family member who has uh, taken their own life. And so the hypothesis was that trauma like that the severity of that kind of trauma, and then the social stigma, the shame that comes with it, that would leave people unable to live in a healthy way as an adult. What they found was that was not true. What they found was that the nature of the trauma was next to irrelevant. All that mattered was whether on the other side of the trauma, there was relationship and community. If they had family, if they had community, Uh, if they had a consistent support group, support group, virtually every single person came back healthier than before. No matter what the trauma was. This is, the power of a community like Pastor Isaac was talking about that can come together community just like Acts chapter 4 where people would give and people would receive, where people would open up their homes, where people would have hard conversations about conflict, where, where, where everyone was welcome you're welcome, you're welcome to the table no matter what you've done you're welcome to the table, no matter what's going on, you're welcome to the table this is the community that our God has set up in what I believe is the church And so once again this morning, I say welcome, welcome. Wherever you have come from, whatever has brought you here this Christmas, welcome. Whether you've been a part of our church for many, many years, whether this is your first time, welcome. What Jesus gives us in the example of Christmas, in the example of Him dying on the cross, in the example of the people that He chose to bring together to change the world, the disciples, in the example that He chose of going to Zacchaeus's house, welcome. Would you make room in your heart this Christmas to open your heart to the possibility that maybe that relationship can be restored Maybe the friend who you haven't contacted in a little while, you know, and after a certain amount of time it becomes too long and then you're like, I haven't really talked to them. Anyone else? No, just me, yeah, yeah, you know what I'm talking about. Yeah, 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 it's awkward. Maybe this Christmas you can open up your home, but even open up your heart to the possibility of a miraculous God, no matter what you've been through. If it's been not so great, He can heal maybe you're sitting here and you've had a fantastic year can i say our god has so much more there's there are more there's more miracles that he wants to bring your way